The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We've been going through this um, this series on questions, and last week uh, Kate shared um, when Jesus is interacting with uh, disciples and he asks, um, "Who do you say I am?" And uh, we learned that there's different forms of questions, and there's different ways that, that questions can be asked. And uh, we learned that as Jesus is asking this question, it's more for them. He already knows who he is. He's, not, he's like, hey, who do you guys say I am? I don't know. I'm having this identity crisis. Um, could you help me out? Throw me a bone? Um, no, he doesn't need that. He knows who he is. He's teaching. This is a teachable moment. Um, we're going to look at another such instance. Uh, it's in the Gospel of John. I don't know if it's up there, but I'll read it anyways. Uh, John chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12, if you want to follow along feel free. Um, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana at Galilee. Uh, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, wa- fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master at the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had uh, drawn the water knew. Then he, called the bridegroom, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after, for the guests, when the guests have had too much to drink. But you have served, saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum uh, with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Okay, uh, what we're going to be looking at is specifically, um, when Jesus asked, asked his mother Mary, woman, why do you involve me? Don't you know my hour has not yet come? Um, so what we learned last week, there's different kinds of questions, and this is a very interesting question. He comes kind of, it sounds like he's coming kind of at Mary. Woman, why do you involve me? What's going on here? You know it's not my time. Um, and there's different kinds of questions. There can be questions, rhetorical questions, where you don't, aren't looking for an answer. There can be questions where you're trying to get out of doing something. Um, you ever been like in a situation where your mom's like, hey, clean your room. You're like, hey, have you cooked dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That could be a time where then you get beat, but hey, I don't know. Like, that's you don't, don't that, that's a question that you ask to try and get out of something. It probably doesn't work, but you could do it. Um, <laughs> or it can be a question that's like a, a question where you're looking for answers, where you don't really, you generally don't know the answer, and you're trying to seek out the answer. Or you can ask a question where you're teaching, you're trying to teach something. And this is a moment, um, I believe, where Jesus is, uh, it's a teaching moment. Uh, he's, he's questioning um, so that we understand more of who he is. He's not questioning because... Uh, He's coming at Mary. He's not questioning because he doesn't want to do it. Um, he's, he's questioning because he wants us to know, he wants Mary to know and those at the wedding to know who he is more and us, as we read this story, to know more of who he is as well. 
So we're going to dive into that a little bit. First, let's start with this, uh, this, the very first word he says, woman, man alive. Is Jesus sexist? Like, is he a pig? Like, what, is he chauvinistic? What's he doing here? Woman. No, he's not. He's actually being very kind to his mother. What we need to remember is Jesus, uh, as much as he is human, is God. And in this instance, he's sharing the fact that he is God. In two times we find Jesus say, uh, call his mother Mary woman. The other time is when he's on the cross and he says, woman, you will take John as your son and John, my friend John, will be your mother. John, Mary will be your mother. And he does this because he is he's showing and letting Mary know that he, in this instance, when he is talking to her, he is not talking to her as, his, as her son. He's talking to Mary as God, the God of the universe. So he doesn't call her mother and he doesn't demean her. He lets her know who she is. She's a woman, child of God made in, in God's image as a woman. So he's not saying, woman, what are you coming at me for? He's saying, woman, why do you include me? So that's where we start off with. Jesus is stating the fact, hey, I'm talking to you, not as your son right now. I'm God. Setting the stage. Next. He says, why do you involve me? This is the question of the night. Why do you involve me? Um, to understand why um, Jesus is asking why you, he, we involve him, uh, we have to understand who he is a little bit. I think so. So we're going to move on from and go back to the, why do you, the question, why do you involve me, and move to the, uh, my hour has not yet come. Uh, a lot of times when you're reading this, when I read it, I read, um, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus is saying, hey, like, I'm not ready for this. This isn't my, like... I can't do a miracle. Um, this, isn't, this isn't me. Uh, you know, like, people aren't supposed to see this yet. Um, no, not the case. Uh, Jesus here is stating who he is again. He's saying, my hour has not yet come. He's stating he knows his purpose. His purpose isn't just to answer um, whenever Mary asks, whenever anybody asks him to do anything. His purpose is much bigger than that. His purpose, we find, is to be the savior of the world. And when the hour that Jesus is talking about is his time on the cross when he dies and redeems this world, when he dies for our sins, when he dies for the fact that we are separated from God to redeem us with God. Um, this is a big deal. Um, when he says his hour has not yet come, he is stating the fact that Jesus, his purpose on earth and his purpose in our lives is so much more than just uh, our petty requests for things. I, I think when we think of including a lot of times, um, this idea of inclusion, uh, we include people or things in our lives because they'll benefit us, right? Uh, at least I do, for the most part. Like, um, especially, like, especially when you're younger. Like, you bring people into your friend group because they're going to add something to it. Or you um, start including a diet into your lifestyle because you want to be fit. Or you include working out. Or you include video games because you like to relax. Or whatever it may be. Um, if you want to get good at the guitar, you'll include practice so that you can gain that skill. You include something. A lot of times we think of inclusion because we want to gain something. Um, and Jesus is saying, there's so much more to me than just including me for the, 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 um, the peripheral things that I can do for you. The things that, um, for turning water into wine. Like, you're, I think he's saying this moment, you're limiting me. If, if all you want me to do, if you think my whole purpose here is because I can make this situation that's wrong or that isn't going the way you want to um, go the way you do want it, uh, I am so much bigger than that. 
And so Jesus here is saying, my hour has not yet come because I have so much greater things to do. Mary, why did you include me? Do you understand that there's more here? He's setting the stage um, for an amazing response from Mary. Um, we find that Jesus has declared his purpose, and um, then he asks, why do you include me? The simple answer to why we include Jesus, why Mary included Jesus, is because he included us first. As he states that his purpose is bigger, that his hour has not yet come, he's stating, hey, when I die on the cross, I'm including you into something so much bigger. And we're going to go over to Ephesians, Ephesians 1.5. And the thing that he's including us into is God's family, into the, the right creation that we were made for. When God created this earth, he made us, and he said that we were good, and we were very good. And as he made us, he made us to be in relationship with him. And sin came into the world, and that relationship was broken, and we were condemned to death. Jesus came down to earth to reconcile that. Jesus is God in human form, and Jesus is the only one that lived a life worthy to not deserve death. Worthy, he's the only one that lived a sinless life, worthy to live with God in right community, in right relationship. And when he died on the cross... He took on the punishment that we deserve when we stepped out of relationship with God, when we turned our back on him. And Paul sums this up greatly in Ephesians 1.5, where he says, those that are in Christ were predestined to be adopted into God's family, as into sonship in God's family. And this idea of predestined, uh, we get caught up on that a lot. What he's saying is, is it's like, I am not a parent yet. Um, I'm not in a relationship. But, like, God willing, if I have a son or a daughter, like, I already love them so much. And they will already be included in my life. They are, like, predestined to a life with me. Right? Like, my kid is going to be loved by me. They're predestined to that. That's what God's saying to us. I have chosen you because I love you before you were born. I created you. You're predestined to sonship, adoption in my family. And this is going to move on to this idea of adoption. In Roman culture, adoption is greater than even being born into a family. If you're born into a family, you could be disowned, right? So if you're born into a Roman family, you could be cut off. Your dad could say, hey, you disgraced me. Um, I don't like you anymore. Peace out. Go on. But if you're adopted into a family, no matter what you do, no matter what it is, they have chosen you, and you can legally not be cut out of that family. You are in it. You could do, you could mess up, like, I don't know, you could squander all the money, do whatever you want, and you're in. Legally, you cannot be disowned. So when God says, hey, when Paul says that God has adopted us into his family, he's saying, you are in. I disowned my son so that I could adopt you. My son died, you live. My son is not included anymore for this period of time, and you are included forever. God has chosen us. We are included. We are in his story. With the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are included in his story. That's why we include Jesus. And then this idea of sonship. Again, not chauvinistic. It's called, Paul's calling us worthy. And again, in Roman times, if you were a daughter, you were not on the same level as a son. It's just the way it was very sexist, and you were second-class citizen, maybe lower. But what Paul is saying here is no matter who you are, where you're at, man, woman, 
slave, non-slave, whatever it is, you're adopted into sonship. He's leveling the playing field. We are all made worthy. We are all included. We are all included in the same worthiness. He levels the playing field. So the beauty of Ephesians 1.5 is God's loved us before we were born. He's included us, brought us into the family. We can never be disowned from the family. And we're all on the same playing field. We are all worthy of this love that we've been given because Christ died for us. That's good news. Let's go back to John. So now, in light of what we just learned, when Jesus asked Mary, why do you include me? My hour has not yet come. He's saying, Mary, what's going on here? Do you want me to just take water? Make it into wine? That's not what I mean. Yeah? No, no, no. I can do that. But. <laughs> cool, right? Yeah, yeah. I can do that. But, um, but Mary, there's so much more. There's so much more. Um, <laughs> Jesus is so much more than just cheap parlor tricks. Um, Jesus is life. And, and what we learn here is, is as we, we include Jesus into our life, because he's included us first, and as we include him into our life, he becomes more and more of our life. He becomes more and more of who we are. We include him because God wants us in his, in his family, and the more that we include Jesus into our life, the more we will understand and know that we're in his family. We, once we've believed and accepted it, we can't be disowned, right? So we can't be disowned. So it's not like we're working to gain anything. The more we include Jesus, it's not like we're trying to include Jesus just to gain more points, to be in better standing with God, because it's not like we're going to work our way up. We've already been given the ultimate gift. We've already been given life. This is what we, we've been given this, this opportunity to be in, in relationship with him. We're included already. So we don't include Jesus in our lives more to be more included by him. We can't be less included by him. We include Jesus in our lives because he already included us. And the more that we include him in our lives, the more we understand that truth. The more we know it, the more we live it out. The more we include him in our life, the more we're going to, in one area, the more we're going to include him in other areas. And as we include him, he doesn't just become parts of our life. He doesn't just become part of our life. He becomes our whole. He becomes our everything. And we become more like him. And that's good news. And the more that we're like him, the more the world's going to see him through us and know that good news that we have come to know. That's why we include Jesus in our life. How do we do that? It's simple. We go to him. In, um, in Matthew, um, Jesus preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like his big thing where he just goes through everything. He's like, hey, this is, this is all good stuff you need to hear. Um, and at the end, he concludes it with this, uh, this parable, this story. And he says there's a foolish builder. And the builder goes to this beach, and he builds his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, um, this big storm comes, and the house has no good foundation because it's on sand. You all know sand isn't sturdy, and the house falls down. But the wise builder, the smart builder, the builder that um, knows what he's doing, he builds his house on the rock. He builds it with a strong foundation. And when the storms come, that house doesn't fall. What's that have to do with here? Where's our foundation? What are we including in our life? 
If we're including Jesus in the different parts of our life and Jesus becomes the center of our life and he becomes the foundation, he's that rock. Storms are going to come, right? So if, let's, let's go into examples. If, if my whole life is based on my friendship and my group of friends, what happens when one of my friends betrays me? What happens when uh, they die? What happens um, when they lie to me? My world's going to fall. If my whole life is built on my relationship with a girl, with my family, same thing. What happens when they lie? What happens when they cheat? What happens when they don't live up to the standards that I have placed on them? My whole world collapses. What happens if it's my job? What if I get fired? What if my job closes down? What if someone else gets hired above me and they didn't deserve it? And I did. I deserve that promotion. My whole world crumbles. But when we include Jesus into those different parts of our lives and we make Jesus the center, not just a part of those lives, but the center of our life, and he's the foundation, he's the one thing we've already learned, we can't be disowned. He will not falter. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's a foundation that does not falter. So when the storms come, they do. When your friend lies to you, when your girlfriend cheats on you, when you get fired from your job, Jesus is still there. Jesus is the same as he's been. Jesus still loves you. You still have this truth that you deserve death, and but you've been given life. You are still worthy. Guys, this is the foundation that doesn't crumble. Your house will not fall when Jesus is the foundation. Storms will come. Things will happen. It may suck, but Jesus will be good. And he's promised us, as church prayed, he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's good news. And we do this by going to Jesus in everything. The bad, the mundane, the good. I lose my job, go to Jesus. I'm eating my food, go to Jesus. I win the lottery, go to Jesus. Tie my shoes, go to Jesus. I'm putting my clothes on in the morning, go to Jesus. Driving to work, go to Jesus. My mom dies, go to Jesus. Whatever it may be, you get married, go to Jesus. Jesus becomes our life. The more we go to him, the more we include him in one area of our life, the more we include him in other areas, and the more we do that, the more he'll become our foundation, the more the storms can come, but we will not fall because Jesus does not fall. That's why we include him. That's the good news. Again, let's go back to our story. Jesus says, hey, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. You know who I am. So why are you asking me this? I love Mary's response. She doesn't even have to, like, tell him. She just says, hey, guys, do whatever he says. Because he knows her heart. He knows that she was come to by an angel, and she knows who her son is. She knows he's God. And her response is, hey, be obedient to who Jesus is. And so people, they do whatever Jesus tells them to do. They're obedient. He turns the water into wine. He gives them a sign. They don't call it a miracle. In John, he calls it a sign. And what I love about it is they included Jesus into what they're doing. As, as she says, do what he says. When they do it, they're including Jesus in, into their lives, into, their, uh, into the wedding. Jesus has become a part of it. They're bringing him in. They're including him. And they see that he is good. They see that his wine, he didn't just turn the water into wine, turned it into the best wine. Right? 
And the, it says the disciples saw this and believed. And they continued to see his signs and they continued to believe. So they continued to include Jesus, continued to see him show up, continued to see this foundation. When storms came, they continued to see Jesus be there, continued to be a rock. When Jesus died, he rose three days later. They learned that in that resurrection, he's redeeming the whole world. And they, they make Jesus their center, their foundation. These guys not only gave their lives to live for Jesus, they died for him. And as they lived that out, other people saw that. And that foundation of Jesus has gone on through the years. This was 2,000 years ago, and today we're talking about it because these men saw and believed and made Jesus the foundation of their life. And as they shared and they made Jesus the foundation of their life, other people saw that, and they saw who Jesus was, and they made him the foundation of their life. And continually, on and on and on, till today we're here in this room talking about Jesus, his truth, and the fact that he does not falter. He has saved us. He has redeemed us from death. And he's in the process of redeeming us and making us more like him as we submit to his will and include him in our lives. That's why we include Jesus in our life. It's just the gospel. It's the good news. We've been given life. This is the best thing ever, guys. Yeah, we go to him for the little petty things. Jesus, my car is not working right. It's squeaky. Uh, Bring someone in my life that will fix that. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. I don't know. But it's not about whether he turns the water into wine or not. It's about the fact that we included him in our lives. Because as we continue to do that, we continue to live into the fact that he's already included us. And we continue to know and understand that truth more. And as we build that foundation, as we include him in our lives and build that foundation of Jesus in our lives, um, we can make it through the storm. So guys, um, as you leave tonight, ask yourselves, why am I including you, Jesus? Think about it. But know the fact that he's included you. You can build your lives upon.